You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Friday evening. Or is it Friday night? It's one of the two. It's Friday, right? That's all that matters. It's the weekend, thank goodness. And you might need a weekend if you're an Alabama fan. Following the Alabama Crimson Tide's tournament-ending loss to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish out in San Diego, the Crimson Tide falls 78-64 to the 11th-seeded Irish Alabama finishes its season at 19 and 14, its third campaign under head coach Nate Oates, and it closes out its season on a four-game losing streak, the first of the Nate Oates era in Tuscaloosa. Of course, the trip to San Diego also marked the second straight year with a trip to the NCAA tournament under Nate Oates. So as bad as you might feel right now, as bad as you might need a bourbon or seven, okay, This season was anything but a disappointment. It established Alabama's standard as being a tournament team year in and year out. That's really what you wanted this team to set that tone for moving forward, and they did that. Now, look, if we want to talk about where expectations were for this team at the end of the season, when we think back to, say, December, okay, I'm with you on that. You beat Gonzaga, you beat Houston and Tuscaloosa. You're thinking, this might be a Final Four team. Certainly didn't play out that way. Whatever happened there at the end of 2021 in late December, coming off that loss to Davidson in Birmingham, which, by the way, ended up to be nothing to hang your head about, okay? Now, Davidson showed us to be a very solid team, an NCAA tournament caliber team. So no shame in dropping that game. But whatever happened, the swagger, the trending that we saw from the team in that win, that tough, gritty win, right? That's what you probably like the most about that win over Houston, was that this team showed some chin That chin went away, and certainly the consistency for this team went away as it went 10-12 and in its final 22 games. And so what we'll do on the podcast this evening is, before we think ahead for Alabama basketball, we'll think about what happened on Friday by revisiting three predictions for Notre Dame-Alabama. We had the piece up for you in advance of Friday's game on the campus of San Diego State University. If you've never been out there, that is, by the way, one of my favorite arenas that I've watched basketball in. Just perfectly suited and built for basketball. Great sight lines. Yeah, it's an interesting arena in that you enter from the top. And then when you go in, everything's below you. You go down to everything from the very top of the arena. So I haven't been to the pit uh, in Albuquerque, but that's, I guess, sort of the way I envisioned that. So 
Alabama on Friday, among the three predictions that we had for you there at BamaOnline.com, Notre Dame won't have 58 points in the paint, which is the total the Irish amassed in its first four win over Rutgers on Wednesday night. That wasn't the case. Alabama actually played Notre Dame to a draw in the paint, statistically speaking, anyway. Now, I think Notre Dame, in knocking down the threes that it did, and we mentioned this as a part of this prediction, in terms of concerns, the penetrate and pitch, they were able to capitalize on some of those opportunities. But just in terms of straight-up paint scoring, Notre Dame with 34 in the paint, Alabama with 34 in the paint, and you think about the injury, of course, to Javon Quinterly early in the basketball game. We can't go too far into this podcast without mentioning that, first and foremost, because you feel so much for Javon Quinterly. You get to this point of the season, it's the time of the season in which everybody wants to be a part of it, be available, be on the floor, and Javon Quinterly, maybe four minutes into Friday's game, goes out with what looked to be a left knee injury. In fact, Nate Oates confirmed that post-game. While the severity of the injury is still to be determined, it certainly did not look good before or after seeing him on the crutches with the support on the left knee uh, and trying to deal with that. So you have a lot of empathy. You feel sympathetic towards Javon Quinterly as much as anything else. And you also consider how the game was impacted by his departure and you draw into a lot of what ifs. And while I don't want to come off as insensitive, I can go either way with that. You know, there were games where we saw Javon against South Carolina, Vanderbilt and others where with that Javon Quinterly, it's easy to play the what if game in favor of Alabama. There were also games where Javon wasn't the guy that we saw a year ago. So that goes both ways. But first and foremost, again, uh, you feel for Javon Quinterly in his situation uh, personally uh, on Friday in the game against Notre Dame. So without Quinterly, you start thinking about some of the things that we really hit on in three predictions for Notre Dame, Alabama. And you were worried about, you were really worried about Atkinson in the post. Paul Atkinson Jr. for Notre Dame because he went 13 of 15 uh, from the field against Rutgers a few nights earlier. Uh, he goes 6 of 11. He scores 13 points, pulls down eight rebounds, had five turnovers. And really, Notre Dame, uncharacteristic of that team, turned it over a lot by their standards. 18 turnovers for Notre Dame in the game. Going in, you would have felt really good about Alabama's chances if you knew that Notre Dame was going to turn it over 18 times. But Atkinson, as much as anything, because Charles Bediaco had the foul problems, was able to do most of his best work against guys like James Rojas, Noah Gurley, once Bediaco had to go to the sideline. And a tough situation there in a 44-42 game with about 16 minutes to go, Bediaco gets whistled for an offensive foul setting a high ball screen. Alabama's down two. And then right after Bediaco goes off the floor, Cormac Ryan, who lost his absolute mind when we talk about 
penetrate and pitch. And even when he was contested, which was probably more often than not, Cormac Ryan was unconscious, making seven of nine three-point attempts in the game Friday, uh, made Alabama pay from beyond the three-point arc. But Betty Ako gets that fourth foul in that two-point game. Ryan drops the three on the other end to push the lead back out to five for Notre Dame. And then right after that, you get an and one from Atkinson, who's working in the post against James Rojas at the time. He Atkinson scores on the play, gets the contact, hits the free throw. Now you're at a 50-42 to 42 game. And not to single out Alabama's post options outside of Betiaco, because once again, there were a few too many defensive breakdowns, like in an eight-point game in the second half, Jaden Shackelford, for some reason, opens up the middle of the lane and you get a wide-open opportunity off the bounce for Blake Wesley, the freshman guard for the Irish. Wesley uh, takes advantage of it, makes the layup, pushes the lead out to 10, and then, you know, with about 10 minutes to go at that point, at that point when Wesley takes advantage of that opportunity, knowing what you know about this Alabama team, it's hard to envision it getting enough stops as much as anything over the duration, the remainder of the game to come back and win. So, you know, those were some things you were working against there in the second half, especially with Betty Ako's foul problems and not being able to deal with Atkinson the way you would like. And, you know, fortunately for Notre Dame, it didn't even matter that much because Ryan was absolutely bananas offensively. 29 points, a career high for Ryan, Uh, And, you know, when you contested him a couple of times, it didn't matter. Just look at the three Ryan hit with about five to go for more on that, right? Shot clock's winding down. He's off balance, fading almost into the Notre Dame bench. The ball goes in. Looks like it's going to spin out and stays in for a three. And that kind of told you what you were looking at in terms of those final four minutes with this one. Wesley was big in the second half, though. He was outstanding off the bounce. Not as much of a factor in the first half, but really made Alabama pay uh, in the paint and also defensively. A big moment you know, in this game. It's a 66-58 game with about four to go. J.D. Davison's pushing. Alabama looks like it might be able to get a bucket in transition. And then J.D., the kind of 2A-ish high school turnover he's made, it seems like more often than not this season, is the cross-court attempt of passing the basketball. Well, he tried it one more time, and Wesley made him pay with the steal, and then he goes down for the layup, pushes it back out to 10, and you really felt like uh, it was going to be tough from that point forward. Prediction number two that we had for you there at BamaOnline.com. Alabama will not shoot 52% on 20 or more three-point attempts in the game. And, you know, you look at it, and for Alabama, a relatively small number of threes, just 24 attempts. Alabama, like Notre Dame, and you sort of anticipated this, I thought there would be more block charge opportunities than there were because I thought both teams would look to attack the paint. But Alabama goes 8 of 24 from 3. Jaden Shackelford in his return to the West Coast in front of a lot of family and friends. 
Not the game Jaden would have liked, and certainly not the game offensively from Jaden that Alabama needed. Four of 17 from the field for Jaden Shackelford. Two of 10 from three. He finishes with 13 points. Plus minus was a team low, minus 14 for Jaden Shackelford in the game. And with Quinterly out, it was going to fall on Shackelford and Keon Ellis to really pick up the slack. Keon wasn't terrible. Keon, 6 of 11 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, 16 points. So you got the kind of game out of Keon that you needed. But without Javon, Shackelford and JD were going to have to be huge. And when Javon went out, you knew right then, well, 35 minutes coming for JD because that's essentially what Alabama had left on the ball. And, you know, you look at JD's numbers, five of nine from the field. Um, He also had nine assists. So those look good, but the six turnovers and understanding he had elevated minutes, uh, but especially the critical one there with about four minutes to go uh, was tough on Alabama's comeback hopes. But Keon was really solid. Jaden wasn't nearly himself enough. For Alabama to have a chance, Darius Miles, you, you also needed him to pick up some of the slack. He, he played 20 minutes, but um, two of seven from the field and a couple of really bad decisions off the dribble, just dribbling into no man's land and just th- throwing up shots that but been better served, kicking the ball out, finding someone else, extending possessions instead of basically ending them with shots that really didn't have much of a chance. And Alabama does some of the same stuff off the offensive glass. It just seems like too often whoever gets the offensive rebound, and Alabama does a pretty good job of that, doubled up Notre Dame on the offensive glass on Friday, 10-5. to But instead of getting the ball out, resetting, starting the possession over, it seems like whoever gets the offensive glass feels like there's a rule that, okay, I got the offensive rebound, but I have to be the one who shoots next. It doesn't work that way, but it seems like uh, we see that from Alabama guys uh, more often than not. So Alabama's guard play, simply just not whole enough, not complete enough, especially with Quinterly out. Uh, when you consider that Shackelford uh, didn't have the sort of performance that Alabama needed. And uh, J.D. did some good things. He really did. 11 points, 9 rebounds, uh, 9 assists, excuse me. Um, also had 3 rebounds, but a plus-minus of minus 13 for J.D. in the game as well. So let's look at our final prediction for Alabama-Notre Dame on Friday Don't bank on Notre Dame being the team that fades in the second half. And that may have surprised some people to come with that prediction. Probably not too many Alabama fans were surprised by that one because they had seen the Crimson Tide in that three-game losing streak going into Friday give up second halves of 50 and 54 points to Texas A&M and Vanderbilt. Uh, and a team that really didn't close any of those three games going into the NCAA tournament. Had the lead in each of those games, including LSU on the road, uh, and wasn't able to close the deal. So, you know, it's not a team in Notre Dame that goes eight or even nine deep, um, but a team that was certainly stronger in an important stretch there at the end of the first half. Notre Dame looked like the fresher team. And this is a Notre Dame team that only plays seven guys. So if you were thinking that cross-country, semi-cross-country trip anyway, 
was going to be a real negative for Notre Dame. They actually looked like the stronger – they were the stronger team late in the first half, taking that 41-36 lead into the break. And that could have been more if not for a three from Jawan Gary that interrupted a UA scoring drought. Now, second half gets off to a start that you really didn't want if you're Alabama. You got an early turnover, leads to another three for Notre Dame, and that got the Irish out to its biggest lead at the time of eight points. And, you know, we can talk about the whistles too. We need to have that discussion. I understand it. It was horse crap, for lack of a better way of putting it, but... One of the worst foul calls you'll ever see came with Jawan Gary there in the second half. Alabama's trying to stay in the game. Gary gets called for a foul on a play in which he forced a turnover. It was essentially post-possession because Gary forced the turnover, had the advantage in, in in the play that followed, the breakup of a pass, and... He is held on the play right in the middle of the floor. I mean, you could make an argument that it was flagrant, you know, intentional. uh, That I believe it was Dane Goodwin for Notre Dame. Holds Jawan Gary with two hands. And the call is made against Jawan Gary. One of the very worst calls, again, that you'll ever see. And it happens in the NCAA tournament. And so even if though you want to include that call to go along. I thought Betty Ako there in the second half uh, drew a charge on Atkinson in the paint. It was a play on, a no call in that situation. But with Atkinson, you could see where he absolutely was going to try to turn over his right shoulder. Jawan was in great shape, knew it, was set, and Atkinson lowers his shoulder, extends his, his arm, After the contact, there's no call, and we play on. And I understand, again, these aren't calls that certainly went Alabama's way, and they went a long way, I'm sure, in Nate getting out some frustration, at least, uh, with a technical there late in the game. But uh, just a tough situation with the officiating. Was it enough, though, even like, considering Javon Quinterly's injury, was it enough? Were they enough to make me think, you know, with those calls, uh, you know, this is a different this is a different game. You know, Alabama makes a comeback there. I can't I can't tell you that I think that. Not honestly. I, I would lean more towards nah, Notre Dame still wins the game. Regardless, because I've seen enough from Alabama this year, whether it's not getting enough uh, stops defensively, whether it's not uh, being able to score on a consistent basis, too many droughts. And I say that too because I had seen enough in this game to know that Notre Dame was the more connected team, right? They're not as dependent upon one guy just sort of doing his thing and going off and carrying the load. Notre Dame gets more, this team anyway, gets more from its system and how it goes about its business organically than does Alabama. And so when you also think about what we talked about, Notre Dame not being the team that would fade in the second half, and you man, they came from Dayton, they were late getting in on Thursday or early, however you look at that. You know, they don't play a lot of guys. Well, you know how they get away with a lot of that? They're connected. 
they're connected on offense, they're connected on defense. And really, it's something that I know a lot of folks don't watch soccer, and I wouldn't have if I didn't have kids that played it. But once I got sort of into understanding at least some of it, I always could see where the more connected team was probably going to win games as much as anything because of stamina and certainly what it's required in a sport like soccer. Well, that's, I think, how Notre Dame sort of is able to overcome some of that with its current situation and the way it found itself in a tough spot uh, coming off that quick turnaround. So Alabama not able to take care, take advantage of that in the second half. And again, I understand. I understand. The whistles, a couple of them to me, were egregious. The no call or the call on Gary and the no call on the Notre Dame player on the loose ball situation, which to me wasn't even a 50-50 ball. It was Gary was in position to recover it and go down for a layup and or be fouled. It was that clear. So I understand. It was terrible. Totally get it. But I've seen too much of this Alabama team, and it wasn't a two- or four-point game, okay? You know, we're still talking eight to ten points at that point. So whereas I'd like to make the argument that it could have absolutely altered the outcome of the game, I've seen too much of this Alabama team to be able to do that with a straight face. So now we start thinking about what's next from a roster perspective as much as anything for Alabama men's basketball. What we do know is that your senior night participants for the South Carolina game, you had Keon Ellis, James Rojas, and Javon Quinterly. Now, Javon, before the injury, is still based on his interaction or his updates on Twitter. It wasn't a given that he was totally out the door. Now, my guess would have been that Javon would have tested the NBA draft process. You know, you're allowed to do that in college basketball. Uh, And so it would have totally made sense for him to take that approach. From there, would he have moved on to professional basketball? Would he have considered the transfer portal? I, I don't know. How much that all changes now? Well, if it is speculating, if it is a severe knee injury, that wouldn't seem to bode well for professional basketball on the immediate horizon. So very much just a in limbo sort of situation, I would say, with Javon Quinterly and what's next for him, period, with his future moving forward. Um, Assuming Ellis and Rojas are, in fact, moving on, uh, you still have question marks, as we outlined with Quinterly. Jaden Shackelford, what's up with him? I would think he would certainly at least test the NBA draft process um, and go from there as well. J.D. Davison, NBA draft process, you would think is certainly uh, in his future, whether he goes all the way from the start and says, I'm out, or he starts through the process and then makes the decision at a later date. Well, and I think really anyone with remaining eligibility has to be considered, in this era of college basketball anyway, uh, a possibility to move on. But those are the three primary guys that I would think about in beyond Keon Ellis and James Rojas. Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, J.D. Davison. What we've learned in recent weeks is that Noah Gurley does, in fact, plan to be back for 2022-2023. So you expect core guys to be Gurley, Betty Ako. But 
when you look at your top four guards, they could all be gone after this season. And with that, in that potential scenario, where the silver lining comes in is that you've got a top three recruiting class headlined by some perimeter types, including two five stars and Brandon Miller, who at 6'8", probably more of a small forward, but a guy that can play a a flexible role on the offensive end for sure. Jaden Bradley, the five-star point guard coming in. You got a shooting guard in Ryland Griffin who's coming in that some people would tell you in terms of just being able to score the basketball is more of a five-star than a four. Just shy of five-star status, according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings, is Ryland Griffin. You mix in some four-stars and Nick Pringle, the latest junior college signee of the Nate Oates era. Noah Clowney coming in as well. And you basically got another five, another sort of secondary five that you can look at. And I don't think a couple of these guys, Miller, Bradley, Griffin, they're not secondary guys at all. Regardless of how everything else plays out, these are going to be dudes that you see on the floor a good bit next season. So, you know, how it plays out with the rest of the roster, that's where it gets interesting because the transfer portal is such a integral piece of college athletics in general now, but if you look at it in terms of ratio of roster turnover, I, I, college basketball has got to be at the top of that list. And so some other spots you think could certainly come open even beyond the five newcomers you anticipate bringing into your program. Nate Oates, well, there's been some job openings out there. You've had Louisville, you've had Maryland, among others. We learned here in the last day or so that Kenny Payne is the next head coach or the new head coach at the University of Louisville. When we think about Maryland, you know, we'll see how that works out here as we get through the NCAA tournament. But, you know, when you think about this recruiting class that Nate has coming in, it makes it difficult to see him walking away on a heater like that. You know, he's built some really good things in three years in Tuscaloosa. Um, and Maryland right now, I, I would guess, is the only real top 25-ish gig that I would say is out there. I know some people would say LSU, but there's so much uncertainty about what might be coming their way in the post-Will Wade era. I don't see Nate pulling a Mike White and staying within the league. Um, so yeah, when you take into consideration all the factors with this recruiting class that's coming in, being at the top of the list, yeah, tough to envision Nate Oates moving on, but we never say never when it comes to coaching and, uh, turnover in general in college athletics these days. Hey, we're going to have continuing coverage of Alabama men's basketball for you at BamaOnline.com. We got so much other stuff going on as well. Alabama softball taking on Kentucky and SEC play this weekend. You got Alabama baseball opening SEC play in Tuscaloosa against a top 10 team in the Florida Gators. So a lot to still hang out with us to cover at BamaOnline.com. And of course, we're going to have much, much more in the way of spring football practice coming up at BOL as well. The Crimson Tide 
returns to the practice field next week following spring break. So wall-to-wall coverage for you with us there at BamaOnline.com. And if you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online podcast? Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Travis Ryer hoping better terms the next time we meet here on the Bama Online Podcast. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Nonetheless, have a great weekend, and until next time, so long, everybody. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.